Hi there, this is Victor Cook, the executive producer and supervising director of Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters, which you can watch on Netflix. I was also the producer and supervising director of The Spectacular Spider-Man. I want to wish all the fans of that show a happy 10-year anniversary. You are watching Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Believers and newcomers alike. I'm Craig and I bring you another web slinging edition of Neil Before Pod, the podcast that has more chat than you can shake a web at. With the release of Venom fast approaching, we thought it would be a spectacular idea to discuss his last and currently only live action appearance Spider Man 3. Face front and prepare yourself for an amazing display of pulse pounding podcasting action. Joining me from the farthest reaches of the Spider Verse are two committed web slingers Chris, welcome. Hello. And Isaac, also welcome. Hello. We are, of course, here to talk about the much maligned, ancient, as it is, what was it, 2007 it was out, film, uh, Spider-Man 3. But before we start that, we shall go to our normal feature, Neil Before, Rise Against. So, Isaac, you've never played before, you go first. I will Neil Before, the recently released Captain Marvel film pictures, because they look super cool. That's a good one, yeah. The, the costume looks amazing. The costume um, looks great. The picture on the cover of the magazine isn't amazing. Like, I was like, no, that's a bit weird. But I think there's like a weird shadow under her neck that makes her head look like it's on a different plane. <laughs> but like all, all the actual pictures, like the screen, like the in like the screen cap pictures or whatever, the the ones inside, like actually look like they look super cool. And she's got like pictures of her in like a fighter jet, and then a, a cool friend in a fighter jet, and. Like the 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 Kree Star Force team that she's on, that we still don't know. We don't know. Well, we don't know too much about the movie anyway. But yeah, this or this looks super cool. So yeah, good stuff. Yes, bit, yeah. Bit of an anticlimax when they promised to break the internet, though, and it was just a couple of. <laughs> yeah, we get we get you know we have, we could be happy with what we get. I suppose yeah. a trailer will probably be out. What's the next Disney? Th- no, it's supposed thing? to be next week, which I suppose now is this week. Yeah. yeah so yeah, there'll be a trailer imminent, but for now, these pictures are enough to sort of whet my appetite. Yeah, but promising to break the internet and then releasing a couple of stills. You know, I don't. I don't know if maybe they changed their mind about some of the stuff that they were going to release by breaking the internet. If you know what I mean. But well, I, I kind of do like. Th- yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the way they've been drip feeding us little bits so far. I think they've done really well with this one, not to sort of blow their load too early. Well, the, the problem is you've you've had Infinity War and then you've had Ant Man, so they've needed a bit of marketing, and then this is coming in between whatever Infinity War Two is going to be called. So it's going to be it's a bit Black Pantherish in that respect. So you're going to need to market it kind of quickly, and then you'll be starting the Infinity War Two marketing sometime in the middle of the marketing for this. So it's I mean I guess the the sequel to Infinity War will market itself largely, but 
Um, but it'll be an interesting one. It's like, oh yeah, look at this Marvel film that's coming out kind of just before the next huge one. So uh, you need a reason to watch this. I think the reason's going to be that it seems like it's going to be very, very highly tied in in some way. You know, it's going to be one of those, oh, you don't want to miss this one because there's going to be some answers in this possibly towards Avengers 4, you know. See, I think it'll be the opposite. I think it'll be like, watch this because it has absolutely nothing to do with Avengers 4, mm-hmm. like broadly speaking. Because if you promise to tie all these things in, I remember like Black Panther, everyone expected it to be pretty Infinity War heavy and then it just wasn't. You know, you had a, a post-credit scene with Bucky and that was it. That was the only reference you pretty much had to the True, know, I suppose upcoming so. events. And even then it was just Bucky. You know, it didn't tell you anything. So I think, I think Marvel are going down the standalone film with limited reference route. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp certainly proved that. And Black Panther as well. Ragnarok is largely on its own. Yeah, they're all kind of just standalone films now, which is weird. True, but I think this one this one's got a bit more buzz than the likes of Ant Man and the Wasp had, definitely. Yeah, it's got that mystery around it, isn't mm. it? We don't know what to expect because we've never seen a Captain Marvel movie before. Plus you've got uh, de aged Samuel L. Jackson. That looks most, kinda funky. That's the most striking thing. He looks mm-hmm. like he's just walked off the set of Die Hard Three. <laughs> it's terrifying. So yeah, good choice. Captain Marvel. Um trailer should be cool hopefully the film will certainly be cool oh just in case uh this is edited and put online before the trailer arrives but i reckon they'll use intergalactic by beastie boys as the trailer music (laughs) i just want to make sure it's it's recorded down before the trailer actually comes out let's time stamp it 1943 uk time september the 11th 2018 yep I predict I I make a vague, un, like unset up opinion about a song that might or might not be appearing in a film. <laughs> Is there anything prompt in this prediction, or just? It's a song from the nineties, and it's about intergalactic planetary <laughs> planetary intergalactic. It's a perfect yeah. choice. Fair enough. Could be the nineties, that era that no one can really say. Yeah, that's so nineties. S Club 7. Or were they early 2000s? I really hope. (laughs) It just starts off with the PS1, like the like intro thingy. She's seen playing N64 at some point. Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. (laughs) S Club 7 were active in 1998, which is... Ah, there we go. Maybe it's... Damn, Maybe all so the Star close. Force, all, like all the Star Force team with her, will be like playing around in a fountain in New York with a load of umbrellas. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think her and Star Lord are going to catch up about all the pop culture they've missed when they've been away from Earth for like thirty? Years, I really hope years. that they, like, because that's sort of in like, because I've read too many comics, but in the comics I have read, uh, Star Lord and Captain Marvel are sort of like best friends, and I really hope that they use that in this film, like these films to have like the. The out of time eighties guy and the out of time like nineties mm. girl become best mates and that sort of thing. They're both constantly impressed by like ever again. No, he's fine because <laughs> I think Chris Chris Pratt's probably like he'll abandon a friend for for a film. <laughs> <laughs> it's when Drax comes back played by John Cena. That's the... <laughs> yeah, it's when Drax comes back played by John Cena. <laughs> that's where you heard it here. Yeah, so that's a good choice, Captain Marvel. Pictures, 
look amazing. Can't wait. Chris, what are you kneeling before this this edition? Well, I'm going to kneel before some slightly older news, but it's been a while since we've been sitting in a a, a recording. So other I'm going to go for. Other than that time that was in the future. Other than that time in the future, and that other time in the future that you've already heard, because we travel back in time to then post what we recorded in the future. And we were somehow live in the future. And somehow live, yeah, 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 yeah. And and we've already posted it on Facebook. It's amazing. It's what can I say? Time travel is loads of fun. It helps us write the reviews before you know we need to. It gives us tons of time. Yep. Anyway. Uh, from the past, now recorded in the future, I give you uh, Tales from the Loop, which Amazon have ordered a series of, and it just sounds really interesting. So it's based on some sort of concept art where you get a sort of present-day picture with a sort of science fiction tone added over the top. And they basically ordered this from the Legion writer Nathaniel Halpern. And it's also going to be a sort of co-production with uh, Fox Telly. So it looks like the little bits of concept art that have been posted up with the articles look really cool. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of kneeling before that. It, it sounds awesome. Never heard of this, but I'm intrigued. Mm. Here's a picture. Write a story about it. It's like an essay question. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, it's like, at first when I heard it, I'm like, oh, really? And then I looked through the pictures, and it's like it's kind of a little cool mix of present day and future so you'll have like a picture of say like a, a sort of council house with this massive spaceship in the background it's it's very weird sort of concept art but i'm interested in what the guy that wrote legion is going to do with it oh, <laughs> you know we've had our discussions on legion you know people can go back and listen in their feed if they haven't already uh, to those episodes but uh yeah I, I i'm i'm interested to see what happens I'm going to look that up after this thing and see what that's all about, because I've never heard of it, but decently. Mm-hmm. I, miss think, I miss some things on the internet, apparently. Uh, I'm going to kneel before, it couldn't be much more recent, the Spider-Man PS4 video game, which is, you know, kind of related to this topic. I can't put the bloody thing down. I'm playing it right now. I'm, <laughs> but, you know, I'm just, like, half listening while I'm like, oh, can't defeat this guy. You know, but, um, I am really enjoying it. I clocked so many hours at the weekend, Saturday night, um, I kept playing it and then I realised it was 4am and I was like, it's 4am, what am I going to do? And I was like, oh, I'll just do this next mission and it's, it's ridiculous, I I feel like I'm 14 again, just playing games all the time, loving it. Uh, I'm looking forward to finishing it because then I'll get my life back, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll just start it all over again. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Reroll, no, see if you can do it better. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil anything specific about like later in the game, but it does really get the Spider-Man character in terms of its narrative. Like the first, the opening cutscene is great. It's just so understated. You see like Peter Parker's messy apartment. He has two jars, one which is a, a new laptop fund, uh, one which is I forget. It's it's a fund for something else, and neither of the oh vacation fund. And neither of them have any money in it. <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, and then he gets a notice under his door that tells him he's being evicted, which you know I can personally relate to. So, yeah, just it's a good summation of that kind of the character and the struggles he has, and the gameplay's fun. the The characters are really well developed. The voice acting's really good. It just looks amazing. I love it. It's everyone should play it. Everyone who likes Spider Man. If you hate Spider Man, you might struggle with it. 
See, I loved the Spider-Man uh, PC games, but unfortunately, I'm I'm locked out of this because I don't have a PlayStation. If Sony are listening and want to send me a PlayStation, then feel free. <laughs> Contact us at the usual address and just drop me a PlayStation. You know, well, just speak to James. Know. He has like ten of them or something. Yeah, I can borrow one. Prop up a <laughs> leg that's slightly uneven. A house built out of PlayStations. <laughs> well, because I'm. Like maybe not the best thing to be invited on a Spider-Man podcast, but I don't really like like Spider-Man or the Spider-Verse. <laughs> <laughs> like I've never been interested, and even like even though we've we last week watched like all the Spider-Man movies, and I've watched Craig play Spider-Man, it's still just like yeah, it looks nice. It looks nice for New York, and you swing around, and it's a bit of a laugh. So I think yeah, if you like Spider-Man, then it it's probably great. And, like, I might give it a go when Craig finally stops playing it. <laughs> don't hold your breath. Yeah, but I exactly don't hold my breath because you've... The other day you were chasing pigeons. And apparently this is, that was, like, a second go because you didn't get good enough catch of the pigeon the first time you tried to chase the pigeon. <laughs> so I might... Maybe when... Maybe when the new Spider-Man game comes out, I might be able to maybe get the first Spider-Man PS4 game off you for a bit. <laughs> Because I can't play both at once. It's very difficult. Yeah, you can't play both at once. So that's our that's our positive section. Chris, do you want to start us with Rise Against? I'm changing the order. All right. Okay. Well. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I always hate the whole uh, Rising Again section because I always find myself sort of Rising Against stuff that I'm not really that annoyed about. But you know what? I'm gonna have a go. And for me, this uh, podcast, it's the Dear Daredevil season three teaser trailer. Is that the one that appeared like today? It is the one that appeared today as we are recording. And yeah, I've, not, I've not seen that yet. It's it's not got a lot in it. It's not a ton of content. It's basically him sitting in the confession booth, whining on about the universe and how it's a bit unfair, and how justice is rubbish, and he's going to fight it differently. And I kind of have the feeling that it's going back to the whole season two thing again, that I was hoping they were going to go, no, we're going to change it back to how season one was, you know. But this teaser trailer makes me think, oh, it's going to be season two again. Um, So, yeah, I'm kind of rising against that. Though, to be fair to them, (laughs) it is a teaser trailer. It is very short. It might not sum up the whole tone but I need to rise against something, so sorry, Daredevil season three teaser trailer, you're getting whinged against. It, it's kind of at that point with these Netflix things, you know, I was, I was talking to someone the other day about, remember when, like, Daredevil season one, Jessica Jones season one, even Luke Cage season one came out, and everybody was talking about them, they were all the mm. age, uh, you know, everyone was like, this, this was my weekend, it was amazing, I loved every second of it, and now it's just like, oh yeah, there's another Marvel thing out, by the way, on Netflix, but, uh, I don't know, maybe you want to go and see, like, Justice League instead or something, you know, because I think, um, <laughs> was it not Luke Cage came out the same day as Justice League, or, or one of them did. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was like, yeah, just go watch Justice League instead, it's a slightly better option. <laughs> it's it's yeah. that thing where there's so many of them coming out, and they come out so close to each other that, you know, you've maybe got a couple of months, and then the next one arrives, and it doesn't really give you enough time to watch unless you do that binge thing of going through it in the weekend. Unfortunately, like the more recent ones haven't been good enough to do that. They've not been compelling enough for you to sit there and sort of watch four episodes back to back. Yeah, so, Jessica Jones season yeah. two was so bad that I'm never watching Jessica Jones ever again. 
That's well, see, that was that was my feeling with Jessica Jones season one, so I just never went back when season two came on, though I have been told that Iron Fist apparently somehow has redeemed itself. First episode's uh, good. Well, there we go. So I've, I've, I've now been told that it's safe to watch Iron Fist, and I've not watched Luke Cage um, season two yet either. No. Iron Fist is only ten episodes as well, which means it's only like two or three episodes too long. <laughs> <laughs> this, I, I, this I don't know how they managed to do it. They managed to shorten the number of episodes every time, but still have fat in the middle that they could trim. I, I always find well, I that weird. The cage is still 13, isn't it? Um, let's say yes without me Googling. <laughs> Punisher certainly was. And I've, I've, I still don't know if he manages to save his sandwich, so um, <laughs> I haven't found out. Yeah, um, Netflix stuff. Not that interested uh, anymore as such. But maybe Daredevil Season 3 will be the redemption. For that character, for the, the stuff, so we'll watch this space. It'll be out in like November or something, I think, somewhere around then. That's my prediction. Um, cool. I am going to rise against the Star Trek universe or the Star Trek film franchise is in trouble again. Again. Uh, recently, uh, the two Chrissies, Pine and Hemsworth, decided to walk away from the negotiation table because Paramount ain't paying them enough. You know, these, these are two guys who are climbing the Hollywood ladder, uh, can command a decent fee, and Paramount aren't, aren't aren't willing to apparently meet that fee, so they're just like, bye. Um, it might just be a negotiation tactic, and I hope it is. I hope that Paramount come back and say, no, no, we'll pay you what you get paid for working other films. It's only fair. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time Paramount's tried to shortchange its stars, so I guess watch this space, but I feel like we got into a a good groove with the last Star Trek film and now it's up in arms again you know you, um, 2009 film really good and then Into Darkness no and then Beyond it was like oh I'm excited about this again it's like oh yeah we might not make this fourth one with Chris Pine or Hemsworth so you know don't get excited yeah I don't know I mean it's, it's one of those things I mean it's always easy for us to sit there and go do you realise how much money you're getting paid to appear in one of these films and you know and the amount of money that they're probably talking about turning down, we would be able to live on for a good portion of our lives. Um, but good portion of everyone we know's life. Yeah, really. probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. It always kind of annoys me because when they do the marketing, the press for these things, like yeah, it's all about the fans. It's such a thing that the fans love, and you know, it's great to be involved in a project like this. And then they're haggling over money and probably trying to one-up each other in the amount that they're getting paid. You know, oh, if Hemsworth is getting paid this, then Pine wants this, you know. But, but here's the thing about these actors, right? I mean, you can think back to the the halcyon days of William Shatner and so on. Well, you know, the phone wasn't ringing. It really wasn't ringing. So they were just, um, they were just doing Star Trek because they had nothing else to do, quite frankly. I mean, obviously they were enjoying it to some degree, but on the whole... No, no real big roles coming up for William Shatner, just just the way it is. But you've got Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth, who are kind of a couple of the hottest stars in Hollywood at the moment. And frankly, they could be doing better things with their time, as such. You know, other than other than films that might not be received that well or might not make that much money at the box office. Um, Chris Pine did a really good, you know, did a really good turn in Wonder Woman, and a lot of people appreciated that. Hemsworth is just racking up franchises left, right and centre. I mean, he's probably about to lose the Thor one, but like um, Men in Black, he's doing that. So, you know, it's, 
he's got he's got options, and uh, I think they that Paramount if they want his time they want they want his star power then they have to pony up for it. It's as simple as that. Because people go see it because they think no Chris Hemsworth in it. Yeah, I mean, see the thing is, I I really like the cast of the, you know, the Kelvin timeline cast. I think it's been really really good. I mean, they had one bum one in the middle, and they've had two good ones in my opinion. Yeah. I know there's kind of a bit of difference of opinion out there in it, but overall, I've liked them. I've found them all enjoyable. Uh, just some better than others, and I kind of felt with the last film they they managed to pick up their stride a little bit again, and I was like, oh, you know, they could do something interesting again with this. You know, they've not ruined it. And with all the good things that are coming out of the sort of uh, Star Trek uh, world at the moment, I mean, Discovery's been really good. You know, we've got Picard coming back. You know, it's it's one of those things where you're like, okay, well, you know, it would be good to have a film on the go at the same time as well, you know. Get yeah. the machine moving again. The Tarantino one is still allegedly happening, but no one knows what the hell that's going to be. <laughs> so, yeah. Isaac, do you have an opinion on the, the two Chrissies exiting the Star Trek franchise? Oh, I don't like Star Trek, so not really. <laughs> Why do I let this guy live here? I don't know. <laughs> Why do you let me take part in your podcast when all I do is like, oh, I don't, I don't know this. So, I love that you, you dislike Spider-Man, and I think it was you that suggested this podcast, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was. Yeah. So I wanted, to watch the, I wanted to watch the Tobey Maguire ones, because Spider-Man 2 is good. Yeah. And then it was, oh, look, Venom's coming out soon, and he's in this film. Let's do this. Uh, yeah. But before we get to that, what are you rising against, Isaac? I'm still looking. I'm going to have to sort of wing it with something. Oh, I said, I saw a thing about Shane Black keeps hiring a paedophile, <laughs> and then uh, someone in Predator. Hang on, I'll try and find it. Shane Shane Black, Predator controversy. Um, Isaac and his ongoing mission to get the website sued. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shane Black's after us now. Jeez. I'm still Yeah, so um, Fox That's removed a sequence from Shane Black's The Predator after actress Olivia Munn informed of the coast uh, informed there. Um, her, yeah, she had a sequence with the actor who is a registered sex offender, who is one of Shane Black's mates. Yeah, what there was, was all this stuff about he didn't realise that it was actually true, and he believed him when he said I didn't do it, or something like that. Yeah, and then um, that was a thing where. No one's talking to Olivia Munn, and they're also like ignoring her for bringing this up. Yeah, which is a bit. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the ins and outs of this conviction, but it, it does seem that it's a bit ill-placed. It's a bit of the wrong time to be, you know. Let's pardon a sex offender and let him into this film. But yeah, I know I it's know. like people like putting the mates in movies, whatever. But if it's a registered sex offender, then. Just a cameo. Just, just like, don't give him like a speaking role. Uh, yeah. So that's probably that's pretty bad, isn't it? If the so, so you're if the sort of like Shane Black being friends with sex offenders. No, I'm gonna not rise. I'm gonna rise against Shane's, Shane Black's handling of the story in which. So he released an apology, but he didn't purse like. Now he's been sort of like ignoring. 
the actress who brought it up in the first place, and a few of the other co-stars have been like ignoring her and not mm. like taking part in the in the press stuff. So let's rise, yes, like I don't know. Let's rise against uh, Shane Black hiring a sex offender for his film, and then when people notice, he has a bit of a hissy fit and doesn't want to talk about his film anymore. Do you think deleting that scene will um, cause the film to not make sense? Apparently, it mustn't be that important. If they can, like... Because, I mean, it's not like... As long as it's not the Predator who was a sex offender, I'm pretty sure they can get away with just the, like... It's probably just, like, a scene where they're gearing up or something. And they're like, oh, how are we going to fight the Predator? You know, like a little chatty scene. Yeah. And it only appears to, like... If they're only in one scene together, Olivia Munn and... I'm going to find this guy's name, but... But, like, if they're only in one scene together, so it's only the one scene that's been removed, it can't have been, like, a huge plot point, really, if they're not... If the characters are just, you know, not interacting that much, you know, I'm guessing it's not... It's not, like, a crazy important one. I suppose we'll find out when we watch it. If suddenly there's, like, a big gap... Like, oh, look, that was the scene that was supposed to explain everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think Shane Black's handling of the that that particular thing has been pretty pretty not good. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, have you got an opinion? Do you know anything? I know nothing about this story, so I will stick safely out of the reach of a lawyer. Good idea. Well, so... That is our Neil Before Rise Against section. We all contributed somewhat. So, good. Good job, guys. And I only insulted two actors. And I also, <laughs> cause I also insulted Chris Pratt when saying that he would abandon any friend for a movie. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So as long as he's not listening or Shane Black isn't listening, then we're okay. Indeed. Unless other people who want to stick up for these people are listening and tweet them about it. I don't know. This yeah. will come up in ten years when I'm a really successful podcaster, and I'll be like, "Listen to this episode from ten years ago." And I'll be like, "That wasn't me that said that; it was Isaac." And then that'll be, yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Shall we get on to the main event, the thing we're here to talk about? Yes. Good plan. Okay. So as always, even though this film is what twelve years old, eleven years old, something like that, let us declare our thoughts on it without spoiling it. So, Chris, would you like to go first? I uh, really liked the original Spider-Man film, Tobey Maguire, the first one. Really, really liked it. I kind of have a thing for these films where and I I, kind of put them there with X-Men and the original X-Men trilogy of the first of these sort of superhero movies that sort of acted as a gateway to what we've got today. I really liked the first Spider-Man film. Second one was like, yeah, it's okay, it's good. And then the third one really disappointed me a little bit (laughs) when I watched it. And these films are kind of in a little bracket where I go, do you know what? I'm not going to watch them again because I think I'll look back and go, oh, they're awful. And it'll kind of spoil them in my head. Now, for this podcast, I re-watched Spider-Man 3 and I did not enjoy it, and yeah, it kind of, <laughs> kind of ruined a little bit of it in my head again. So, oh. uh, so yeah, I mean, I think I enjoyed them at the time, 
didn't enjoy it at the time, but there were elements of it, character elements and plot points and bits that just didn't really make sense. Some things that seemed really crowbarred into place, it just didn't seem... It didn't seem like the same characters that you had watched in the previous films. And I know there's meant to be reasons for that in the way that sort of the symbiote changes your behaviour and stuff, but I don't think that fully explains it. And I'll go into more in the in the spoiler section in case anyone hasn't watched this film from uh, <laughs> 2007 yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Isaac, what do you think of this film? No spoilers. Yeah, well, this is the first Spider-Man movie I watched because I, I didn't see the first two originally. I just went to the cinema to watch the third one. I remember at the time we were like thinking that was pretty fun, and then we watched them again last week. This time, watching them in order, so we watched the previous two first as well. So, and then watching this one again, even with the extra contents, I still think it's pretty fun. Like, it's a bit sort of, uh, it's like yeah, it's a little bit like top heavy towards the end, and it gets like the the pacing goes a bit weird at the end and stuff. And but it's a it's a bit of a laugh. Like it's always pretty, it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I'm actually on the side of the fence that defends this film. I think it's it's nowhere near as bad as people say it is. Um, it's I, I mean I like it. It's not Batman and Robin. You know, it's not that bad. Um, it's not even as bad as the Amazing Spider-Man Two. You know, which is dreadful. Let's let's be honest. Um, it's all right in terms of the Spider-Man films. I really liked the first one when it first came out. I was like, oh my god, I'm seeing Spider-Man in live action. What is this? This is incredible. And then the second one surpasses it in every conceivable way. And does a great job with the characters, does a great job with the action, just does everything right. And then I remember how hyped I was for Spider-Man 3. And I remember coming out of the cinema defending it to people that didn't like it. And even though I kind of shared some of their concerns, I'd hyped it up so much that I'd almost convinced myself that I liked it more than I actually did. I mean, I recognise that it's flawed, but even to this day, I can still rewatch it and and get something out of it. I think it's, yeah, it's not bad. I mean, these films aren't supposed to be high art anyway. And I think it suffers from the fact that Sam Raimi was forced to put certain elements in by the studio that he wasn't interested in. And that shows, it definitely shows. We'll get into that more in the, the spoilers. But yeah, I'm a fan. I think it's good. Uh, it's a shame we didn't get more of this, the Raimi universe of Spider-Man, because I feel like there was more to it than we got. But it's what it is. It's left to history. It's now a child in the MCU. So Spider-Man is where he's supposed to be, I suppose. Shall we move on to spoilers? Let our spoiler sense tingle. Lights do. Yeah. Cool. Spider sense, danger! Let's kind of start with the, with the story, because every film has a story, or should. Um, so this... This is a bit different to the other two films, because the other two films focused on a singular villain. The first film you had Norman Osborn, the second film you had Doc Ock. And then in the second film, you kind of had this Harry subplot bubbling under the surface, but the main thrust of the plot was about Doc Ock. Whereas this film has three villains, arguably four, if you include Spider-Man himself, who becomes a bit of his own worst enemy throughout, which is, you know, thematically similar to any comic you might pick up and read. Um, so you've got the, the first villain story is the Harry story, and then he gets hit in the head, loses his memory, and makes room for Sandman, 
and then comes back later, and then eventually you get Venom, eventually, after about four hours or something. So it's, it's kind of weird, because it feels like there are three films stitched together, so you get the, the, the Harry revenge film, the Sandman plot, whatever that's supposed to be, and then the Eddie Brock hates Peter Parker and becomes Venom plot. plot. And it's weird that they all kind of stitch together, but they don't, you know, they, there's a point where they all just stop and let the other one happen, which I find kind of weird. But, you know, I only really noticed it this time watching it, actually, because I guess since the last time I watched it, I've been thinking a bit more about story structure and all these things. Yeah, I think there's a bit of retrospective that when you watch these again, you go, oh, hang on, what's with this bit here and what's with this suddenly pausing? And there's sort of clunky elements to each of them as well because they're having to give space to the other. There's these whole... Not time gaps even, because the story takes place over quite a short time frame. But you kind of feel that the characters are all in different... are all part of their own different plots and they don't really gel together until you get you know, the final fight where they put them all together at the end. It could have been it could have been in three different timelines at one point. Yeah. You know, it just didn't really feel that it was joined up at all. I I understand that the whole idea is that it's meant to be sort of mounting all this pressure on Peter and that's what sort of pushes him to just go worse and worse and worse and worse character wise the whole time. You know, it's all these elements, you know, revenge on you know revenge against him him seeking revenge his relationship breaking up you know all these villains to contend with at the same time i get that but it it kind of feels like if they had dealt with one or even two of these it would have made a better film oh yeah Raimi's version of the script had um original conception of the film was sandman and harry uh, and i think that was it and that's all you really need. I mean, the, the Harry Osborn plot is by far the most interesting. Because you've had three films to establish this friendship. You mm. see it kind of break apart in the second one, especially when he finds out that Peter is Spider-Man. And then the third one, you know, within the first, what, 20 minutes or so, he just tries to kill him. You know, as you do. <laughs> well, on his um, on his weird surfboard with grenades and missiles and razors and all this stuff. Um, I don't know where he, when Norman had time to cook that up, but... Uh, <laughs> He's just got all this crap lying around. It's like, oh yeah, if you want to go on a murder spree, this is the secret room for you. Yeah, and there must be a hell of a training video in there as well. (laughs) You know, right, here's how to use the glider properly. Here's what each of the pumpkins does. And uh, here's my little cool boomerang things. Uh, Here's a quick how-to guide. Don't get me wrong, it'll take about 15 minutes for you to get used to it. And then you'll be absolutely fine. You'll know how all of this works. (laughs) Yeah, No need for you to practice or sit down. Just hop right on and get your revenge, my friend. You know. You get a bit of the shorthand because he uses the gas, though. You know, yeah, but at the same time, that doesn't make you know where all the buttons are. No, no. <laughs> makes you sort of, you know, quicker reactions, heal faster, be stronger, but it doesn't sort of teach you the the ropes, really. Yeah. Isaac, what do you think of the, the jockey in for position type plotting? Uh, well, there are, because there's, there's weird moments where it's not so much that it's like there's, there's people crowding for attention, it's more that like there's a huge portion where Sandman just sort of like wanders off, like you don't see him for ages. Yeah. So when he's finally back, you're like, oh yeah, Sandman's still kicking around and causing trouble. I don't know if, I don't know if there's points where well, I didn't think it was too much. Maybe towards the end, but 
along the build-up, each one's kind of allowed their moment. Like, you know, Peter Parker gets his moment and Sam gets his moment and Harry gets his moment and stuff. They're not, like, fighting each other for screen time. But there's a lot of points where they're just kind of like, it's like, all right, let's just pull this to the side. We'll shelve Sandman for a little bit. We'll shelve... Because we don't know, Eddie Brock's not in... He's not in the first two, is he? No. He's just in this one. He just, he's just like, Peter Parker calls him a chump. And then... <laughs> and that's, and that's like this this long, heated hatred suddenly boils. And he's trying to... Because they're both trying to get a picture of Spider-Man and Eddie Brock photoshops it and stuff. <laughs> Which is kind of like... He's not particularly... He's just some... Like, he's just set up as some guy. He's not particularly interwoven, especially not as much as, like, Harry Osborn. Which I'm... So I don't know much about Venom as a character too much, but whether or not in the other materials, if Eddie Brock is, like, a well-regarded... Is he a well-regarded Deadly Bugle guy, or...? He didn't work for the Bugle in the comics, actually. He worked for another newspaper. Yeah. And he was disgraced after he... Um... He did an article about a confession of some guy that claimed to be a serial killer, and then he he didn't do his research. So it turns out this serial killer or this guy was just just enjoys confessing to crimes that he didn't commit, which is really weird. But yeah. you know, it's whatever. It's comics, and then it's Spider Man that finds the real serial killer. Eddie Brock blames him and starts to hate him, and then you know you get Venom. Yeah, so there's always that sort of story of there's a slight fall from grace that he has to go through. That helps fuel the the symbiote thingamajig. Well, I think that um, I think that subsequent adaptations have done a better job than the comics actually. Because let's look at um, the nineties animated series, which you know was my first exposure to Venom and, and all, all of these characters really. Um, and in that, you've got Eddie Brock's a bit of a loser. JJ doesn't really like him. Fires him a few times. Um, Spider Man keeps showing him up. Uh, humiliating him and then eventually he gets the symbiote and he learns that Spider-Man is Peter Parker and goes after him spectacular Spider-Man you have that brotherly connection that they have well they're, they're not actually brothers but they, you know they have that well they're pseudo brothers you know they, they grew up together and all that you have that brotherly connection that breaks down and then Eddie Brock learns that he hates Spider-Man and then he hates Peter because, and the, that hatred grows and that's that's the best version here it's like yeah, okay, I lied, and you caught me out for lying, therefore you must die. Which is a weird motivation. But it's, It is weird. <laughs> I mean, but the, the, the thing is, what what the, the, the Raimi series did was sort of build a lot of things very slowly, like we're talking about with the, the sort of whole Osborne plot. Yeah. Um, slowly bubbling around, and you kind of feel that, okay, that was sort of planned the way this was going to go. You were going to have Norman first, and then Harry, and then okay, let's say that they had planned a resolution. Let's give them credit and say they had planned a resolution by the end of the third film. And that's been an arc. Whereas with Brock, it feels like they came round and they went, right, um, let's put him in and we need to get him up against Parker right away. Where I kind of feel that if they had introduced him a film earlier and drip-fed him in, it would have felt more natural, maybe a rivalry bubbling that whole time. Whereas with this, it's like it's it's in and rivalry instantly. And Peter acting uncharacteristic of himself, like very, like he just seems the character is wrong from the beginning. You know, being a bit of a dick, which he wouldn't normally be right off the bat. 
Well, I mean, I'll, I'll come back to that Peter Parker point because I yeah. have a, a counter to it. But the interesting thing is, uh, in Spider-Man Two, you have the perfect setup for Venom, uh, and we'll probably come back to this when, if and when we eventually do a Spider-Man Two podcast, which will happen one of these days. Maybe it's already happened. I don't know. What what timeline are we in? Never mind. When when Doc Ock appears, then we'll go back and we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. When the Doc Ock solo film gets made. <laughs> um, but anyway. In the second film, Mary Jane is marrying some guy, right? It turns out it's Jameson's son. But in the context of the story, it doesn't matter who he is because they don't do anything with him. It's just someone who's there to kind of get in Peter's way and remind him of how much his life sucks. And that's that's all he is. So there's nothing to that character. But if suddenly you had this person that, you know, MJ is only with to get back at Peter and um, and this guy really hates Peter Parker by the end because his fiance leaves him for this guy mm. so then you go into the third film with I hate you and you know you could make him a bugle photographer if you want and yeah. and, and you've got this animosity that builds especially enough to see each other every day but I also quite like the characterisation of Brock in this film in the sense that he's just a dweeb you know and he doesn't realise it he thinks he's like he thinks he's cool and he thinks he's funny and he thinks he's you know good with ladies and all this stuff even though people just can't stand him it's you know when he goes up to Betty and he's acting um, he's acting all arrogant, like singing at her, and and uh, it's like, how about we go out sometime? And she's like, nah. <laughs> and um, asks him about what cologne he's wearing because it stinks. And as soon as he's going into Jameson's office, one of the first things he says is, "What's that smell?" <laughs> and and it's just throughout, you know, everybody kind of shuns him, and he doesn't realise it until the end. And I quite like the idea that this is like a version of Peter Parker who's who doesn't have like it all together. He doesn't have that sense of responsibility, and um, yeah, he doesn't real. He doesn't have any self awareness as well. You know, that's it's quite an interesting idea to play with because everyone just effortlessly likes Peter in this film. You know, Betty. He walks up to Betty and and she's like, "Go in there. Uh, you've got a rival in there. Jameson's kind of there, uh, not completely hating him and, and stuff like that." So, I think um, I think that was an interesting idea. I just think you needed at least an entire film to play with it. Yeah, I think I think you needed a slower build. I just didn't quite get the rivalry straight off, and and even I'm faking the photo because Spider Man's broke his camera, and now I really <laughs> want this job. And yeah, would would he go that far in order to do it? Well, you don't know. Uh, yeah. yeah, you don't you don't know because you've not had him established for that long. But you kind of have the feeling, well, if he was willing to do it at that point. He'd probably already have done that somewhere in the ladder to get up already. Yeah, I don't think that would have been his tipping point. I think if he was desperate enough, he would have done it already. My favourite Eddie Brock scene in the film is the one where he's talking to Gwen Stacy, you know, with her spine miraculously intact, uh, unlike it normally is. <laughs> That's low. Like the bridge she fell off. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to keep... No, no, I kid, I kid. She's very much alive and she will stay that way because they never made another one. So we're fine. But uh, the, the scene where she talks to Gwen... Or he talks to Gwen and he says, you know, uh, what about that amazing night we had? And she's like, it was just a cup of coffee. What are you on about? And then <laughs> and he, when he talks to Jameson later, he says, uh, you know, I have a girl who I intend to marry. And then he says to her dad as well, you know, Zephram Cochran. Or, well, James Cromwell, Zephram Cochran. Or the farmer from Babe, I guess. Whatever James Cromwell character you want to attribute to him. Um, he's... You know, he just says, I'm dating your daughter. And it's just the delusional thing. You know, he thinks he's in a relationship with Gwen and she just 
isn't <laughs> interested. She probably went on a pity date with him, you know, just to get rid of him. And now, for some reason, in a city of however many million people are in New York, she has to keep bumping into him. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think he's potentially an interesting character, and I don't think Topher Grace is bad at it either. Arguably, he's performing better than Tobey Maguire is in some scenes. Arguably. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't argue against you in that, actually. Yeah, I, d- I don't think he's particularly bad. I think he suffers, like the other characters do, from the fact that they're trying to fit too much in, and instead of developing one really, really good villain and maybe one side villain in this, yeah. and one bubbling under the background, instead they, they try to fit in three and it seemed a bit bitsy and bits seemed tacked on or too convenient, plot convenient. Yeah. You know, when you rewatch, you go, "Oh, hang on, that's like, of course it would be that guy, or yeah. of course it would be." That. You know, we'll talk about it with Flint Marco and stuff in a bit, but yeah, but yeah, it's like I, I kind of feel he suffers from that same same thing where it's a bit clunky in the way that they're trying to transition everything far too quickly. Yeah, if this was the MCU, you'd have the the scene in the church of him getting rid of the black suit, you know, early in the film or at some point during the film, and then the post credit scene would be. Brock walking into the yes. bell tower and, and getting the symbiote and then, you know, the, the lunge at the camera that Venom does. Uh, that, that's almost an iconic shot, that. You know, it's very, very horror-driven. It's really good, but um, that would be your, like, post credit scene that sets up the next film and, and all that. But, you know, it's not the MCU. It's the proto-MCU kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, Isaac, what do you think of Eddie Brock in this film? Like, because I don't know the character outside of... Like, I've not watched the 90s version or anything. So this is like... My only Eddie Brock. I mean, I, obviously, I watched I watched some of the well, I watched the spectacular Spider-Man review, but I don't remember it too well. I kind of remember Eddie Brock. He was kind of like a Nelson Muntz, <laughs> like a big a big brother, tough guy brother character. But so in terms yeah. of the movie, this is like not knowing who Eddie Brock or Venom is. I'm just going, and I can't remember. Him. Like, he's not a very standout character. Like, you're not really. I don't. You're not sort of. He's not sort of uh, misunderstood or anything, so you can't really, like... He's not an underdog. He's like, oh, it's just, you know, Peter Parker's not giving him a chance or anything. Or, But he's also not annoying enough to... to, to the you want him... He's not, like, compelling enough as, like, a... You know, a, a bad guy, just as Eddie Brock. Like, it's just some guy in a scene where he's just, he just f- fakes a photo. So when you see like, so when you see him going to the church, I'm like, I, I, like, wait, like the, so the time we watched it last time, I remember that you know, he turns into Venom. I remember the first, I think like the first time I watched it, it's like that's just some, just some blonde dudes here, <laughs> like, it, like it's you kind of forget who he is, because he's only in like he's only in like maybe, like at most like maybe eight minutes of film before he's not he's not in much is he. Like all the scenes added together before that, it's maybe like ten, eight, ten minutes. If that. So yeah, when he, so when he, when he's having the big moment where he's pulling the symbiote off, and like Ellie Brock's and Ellie Brock's and the thingy as well, asking God to kill Spider-Man. Kill Peter Parker. <laughs> oh yeah, kill Peter Parker. He's just some man. Like he's not. He's not particularly. Like he's not the character to watch on screen while the film was playing. So I think as a, as an Eddie Brock or as a as so my. As my exposure to Venom, it's not, it's not the most memorable. <laughs> yeah, and as I said, he was tacked in because 
the kind of studio said the fans like Venom, so put him in. And Sam Raimi said from the beginning, you know, I think he was asked uh, when the first film came out, he said, you know, any plans for future villains? And, and then he specifically asked about Venom, and he was like, no, nah, I don't like doppelgangers. You know, he doesn't like the fact that Venom is just an evil Spider-Man in, in some ways. And I think that Sam Raimi doesn't understand Venom. Mm-hmm. And, and fair enough, he's not interested in Venom, so why would he understand him? Like, if I'm, you know... If I don't like a character, I'm not going to read about them. Um, I just don't like them. You know, that's fine. And if Sam Raimi doesn't like Venom, then he shouldn't have to explore that. But the fact that he put it in and put it in the way this way is kind of... Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if the best that, that you could hope for, but I think here's this guy that made, you know, the first Spider-Man film, which at one point was the top grossing film of all time or something like that. And then he made Spider-Man 2, which in every way eclipsed the, the first one. You know, in terms of the way... People considered it, the, the way people enjoyed it, you know, the, blew everyone's mind, blew everyone's expectations out of the water for what one of these films could mm. and should be. And it's like, after two of these, you're just like, just make whatever the hell you want. <laughs> you, you've you got this. You understand what you're talking about. And it's like, nope, Venom, get him in right now. You know, it's almost like Joss Whedon with, uh, with the Avengers. Uh, you know, he makes the Avengers and it's like, well, you know, this couldn't have made any more money. So uh, Age of Ultron... Uh, what you did but put all this crap in and he's like oh, I don't want to put all this crap in it's like well tough you work for us you're putting it in it's like have a bit of trust in your filmmakers and you know we could have had a really tightly constructed really good film that finished a three film arc in Harry's case uh, and it does that but it's a bit bloated with all this other stuff that the Venom stuff that they forced into it where it just you know it feels forced because you don't need it you don't have it or you shouldn't have it as such do we know much about what if there was a like the Spider-Man four plans? Like, obviously they kind of finish off the Osborne arc. Like, oh. do we do we know if if there's been any interviews about like what they would have done if Spider-Man four was a go ahead? Like, would they have yeah, started the a new Vulture. trilogy? Uh, the Vulture. The Vulture was Sam Raimi's plan, and it was going to be like John Malkovich or something that would play him. Uh, and then you were going to have like a secondary love interest in the form of Felicia Hardy, who in the comics becomes Black Cat. But in this version, she would be, like, the Vulture's daughter, and she would become, like, another Vulture or something like that. And it's, you know, it's messing around with comics lore and whatever else and playing with people's expectations. And we don't really know what it would mean like. And eventually, what happened was the script wasn't going the way Raimi wanted it to, and Sony were thinking about rebooting it anyway. So they just parted company, and that was the end of it. And then we got The Amazing Spider-Man. But... Spider-Man 4 sounded like it could have been interesting and going back to a single villain again and it would have been a relatively baggage-free film as well because, you know, you've got rid of this Osborne stuff that, as interesting as it was, it has its place and you would have had a kind of renewed passion, I guess, for, for Peter Parker because he's he's kind of supposed to have put everything behind him by this point, so who knows? Who knows what we could have had? Another trilogy? I think the plan was to set up the Sinister Six at some point. Considering they killed like two of them, don't know how, but you know, whatever. So I think I've, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier on when you said, you know, the in the ideal world they would have had Brock there for the film, and then introduced Venom right at the end to lead you into film four. Yeah, you know, people want Venom. Okay, we'll give them a teaser of Venom at the end of this, and then go, you know, fully for it in the next film. You know. Yeah, and it's interesting, the 90s cartoon, the Alien Costume Part 3, 
the plot of that episode is that Venom basically stalks Peter Parker and Spider-Man throughout the most of the episode. You know, everywhere he turns around, Venom is there. And I would have loved to see Sam Raimi, a kind of veteran of horror, do that. Mm. You know, and uh, do that really horror, really tense kind of stalker thriller with Spider-Man in it. I would have loved to have seen that film. And I think, like, regardless of your dislike for Venom, you could have retooled him into that thing that that stalks Peter in the night. It could be any shadow, all that stuff. That would have been... Yeah. It would have been super dark, but it would have been really interesting. And instead we get turned in the wind quotes from Tom Hardy now. That's <laughs> brilliant. Fantastic. Um, but before we get Venom in this film, we have Peter Parker and his black suit and his emotional issues and all this stuff and... Going back to your point about Peter Parker not acting like himself at the start of the film, that's to me that's definitely deliberate, and it's summed up in his opening narration where he talks about how great his life is now. And you know, the second film is Peter Parker gets crapped on by life. That's what the, the film's about. You know, everywhere he goes, it's you've got that that party he goes to where he can't even get a drink. You know, <laughs> it's just so tragic. And you know, he has no money. His Spider-Man life causes everybody to think he's a flake and he loses his job. You know, it's all this horrible stuff that goes on. And then in Spider-Man 3, he's like, yep, I'm top of my class somehow. The city's kind of safe. Um, I've got this girlfriend who who apparently likes me for some reason. And <laughs> it's just, he's just all this. And it's he's starting to believe the hype because New York loves Spider-Man. So he, you know, he believes that, yeah, it, this is great. Because he, he says to MJ at one point, I guess I've become some somewhat of an icon. And it's... You know the way he says it, he just doesn't. He doesn't have any self awareness about this this point of view that he has about himself. He's just kind of, he's bought into this inflated opinion of himself, and and it kind of reaches his zenith when he says to Gwen, you know, give me a kiss. You know, the crowd will love it, and MJ's in the crowd, and he doesn't realize that she, you know, that's that same kiss they had in the first film. He doesn't realize that she thinks that's really important, and she has that as belonging to them as such, and he just kind of paraded it around as if it was just a party trick and I like you know I like that idea because you never get to see Peter Parker be that arrogant in the comics because he you know he never gets that lucky but it's an interesting thing because he has to get knocked off his pedestal I think that's his arc in this film getting knocked off that there's also the the putting Uncle Ben's death behind him thing which I don't like because it turns out Sandman killed him which is weird so it's like if I had just stopped that criminal uh, my uncle would still be alive. It's like, no, he wouldn't. If you'd stopped that criminal, he would have still probably been shot. So you did nothing. It's not your fault. It's nowhere near your fault. Whatever. I can see why that would bring, up, bring on a bit of a, a crisis of faith, though. You know, thinking that he had dealt with it in that way and then discovering, oh, no, actually, the guy is still out there. Uh, and and you potentially let the wrong man fall to his death. Yeah. Is, is part of his breakdown there. And I get what you're saying about him being knocked off his, his pedestal a bit. And, I mean, you do see it in the comics where as soon as he gets a little bit of success, be it the girlfriend, a great job, um, university going well, you know, something to, to do with Spider-Man going really well, and then suddenly it'll all be taken away. Someone will come along and just start chipping away at stuff in the background, and then so it all falls apart at the same time. Suit will throw his girlfriend off a bridge. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's great. I'm going to marry her. Oh no, okay, down she goes. Okay, now society will frown upon it. Yeah, you know, my business is going really well. Oh no, it's all crumbled apart. You know, it's yeah. it's that it's that kind of thing, and I do I do get it. It's just the the shift 
again, like I was saying about Brock and this, the shift for Peter's character in this is far too too sharp. You know, to suddenly become this not really caring, not really interesting, self-absorbed character before he's introduced to Venom at all just seems wrong to me. You know, I think it it just it didn't quite gel with my interpretation of the character, and I know that people will disagree. So, but I I just didn't quite get how that character had changed, especially from the way that we've we've had him in the previous films. Well, you get him knocked off his pedestal before that point, though. The, the scene I was talking about where he talks about being an icon uh, is the scene where he's trying to propose to MJ. Mm-hmm. And she, he's not picking up on the fact that she's annoyed about something. I mean, she's always annoyed about something, but we'll come back to that. Uh, but he's not picking up on this fact. He's too absorbed in his own stuff. You know, there's that point earlier where she comes and talks to him about that review, that negative review, and she's really bothered by it. And he's like, oh, there's the police scanner. See you later. You know, you, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah, but um, and then it's when she just she tells him to shove it. Basically, uh, the reasons she tells him to shove it are not that good because it's just because Gwen speaks to him. So and she's she seems a bit jealous, but I guess that's another symptom of other issues that she's having. And then she storms off, and then at that point, Peter Parker's the loser from Spider-Man Two again. You know, he's the guy that has no luck. Uh, he has no money. He has no luck. It's uh, then he finds out his uncle wasn't killed by the guy that thought killed him and then that's when the black suit can take hold because that's when he's at his lowest point but, but the, my thing is that, that at that point of the film it's of his own doing yeah of course it, yeah. it was him that wasn't listening to MJ it was him that was taking things for granted at that point yeah um, which isn't the character you've come to expect even from that opening narration things are going pretty well yeah but the thing about the black suit that some people seem to misunderstand is that it doesn't change anything about him all it does is amplify stuff that's already there mm-hmm. so Eddie Brock's vengeful nature is amplified to an extreme I'm talking about the comic version here I don't know what this is happening to this guy he's just a wisecracking idiot I mean I suppose that's what he was anyway so he's just a worse wisecracking idiot I guess um, so Peter Parker is you know I mean he's he's still a bit of a he's still a nerd he's still all that stuff it's just amplifying these kind of more aggressive and bizarre tendencies that it usually suppresses but um i can see why it takes hold at that particular point because that's when he's knocked down um you know not knocked down of this arrogance that he's been um he's just been living in this blissful arrogance for the whole the whole time up to this point um i think the the uncle ben's killer thing i think you could have accomplished it a bit more neatly so you have like the actual, all right, maybe the fall doesn't kill him, right? Maybe he's in intensive care or in a coma or something like that. And it's, oh, look, this guy that killed your uncle has woken up and he's escaped and he's out there again. And so then that brings it back. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it was Flint Marco that killed him this time. You know, way back. I mean, I'm talking Spider-Man 1. This is like the long game here. But mm-hmm. um, but maybe it is Flint Marco. Maybe he does become Sandman, you know, and it's... And then you can combine those sort of two things together. Because the the film ends with Sandman saying, I didn't mean to do that. I'm really sorry for what I did to you. And then Peter forgives him. And then, he, you know, Sandman leaves. So, could you imagine if you had that kind of catharsis of, I'm sorry I killed your uncle. 
it was a tense situation. I really didn't mean it. I'm not that bad of a guy, actually. I've been in a coma for six years or however long it's been since the first film. I don't know what's going on. I'm suddenly able to turn into sand, which is just a bit of an adjustment. You know, all that stuff. But um, So I think having it be two people involved in his uncle's killing is a bit too messy, I think, for me. Yeah, for me, it was far too messy and it seemed tacked on. It's like, we need a reason for him to be really peeved at this guy and we can't think of anything else. So, oh, I tell you what, it turns out it was him that killed Uncle Ben. Yeah. And and let's drag all this up again. And I think you're right. They could have done, okay, the guy's been in a coma. Turns out he didn't kill him. He's now woken up and he broke free and escaped. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Whereas with this, you, you're sort of like, it turns out he confessed in prison and they kept it a secret from him and Aunt May for reasons best known to them. <laughs> and, you know, it, it all just seemed like, you know, even in that conversation in the police station, it sort of feels like they were trying to go, all right, everyone's going to ask why no one said, why no, no one told them anything. All right, well, let's quickly sort of cobble this together, you know. We've got yeah. witnesses, and everyone says that he did it, and he's admitted that he's did it, and it's like, okay, fine. But, yeah, it just it just didn't seem right, and it didn't even seem necessary. I, you know, I, he would go and he would fight Sandman anyway. Yeah. If he knew there was someone with powers going about and robbing a bank, he would try and take them down anyway. But the whole point I, is he's looking for blood at that point. Because he can now face down his uncle's killer, and you know, give him everything. Yeah, he's but, got. but he's but he did that the last time. Yeah, it's, he's it's already replay, done it. It's, sure. it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a replay of that. It's like he didn't need he didn't need to be seeking vengeance again because he's already done that. He's already scratched that particular itch. It didn't develop the character in any way. It just gave him another another villain to fight, and it didn't need to. They didn't need to go and go and change the Uncle Ben death scene and re rehash it again. You know, yeah. I, it just didn't seem necessary. That's why it makes more sense if Sandman is the guy that killed his uncle, but there's mm. no other guy, because then it is still the. If I just tripped this guy up, I wouldn't be in this mess. You know, you would still have that, but um, yeah, it's a bit of a mess. And also, as I said, it completely flies in the face of what's supposed to motivate Peter Parker. It's the mm. You know, I refu- I refused to act because I was too I was too angry at this fight promoter guy who ch- just cheated me out of a couple of hundred bucks or whatever it was. You know, and, um, so he, oh, it it was a selfish decision that he made, and he and he pays for it after that. But at the same time, it's it looks like Marco was going to kill Ben no matter what. So, well, uh, they they then they then make it a bit iffy by saying, oh, the gun kind of went off accidentally, but as he yeah. was going for the car, you know, it didn't. Yeah. You know, and then the other guy drives off and sort of leaves him there with a smoking gun. And I was yeah. going to say maybe they couldn't get the original actor back, but they actually had him in that scene. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's not even that that's the reason, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, Isaac, what do you think of Peter's arc in this particular film? Uh, quite like that. It's, it is, it's just everything going... It's everything just building up, really, isn't it? So the sim... It, I do think it makes sense that the symbiote it feeds on aggressiveness and whatever. Yeah. And this is kind of a film where it's just it's just like it's a really bad 
it's not it's kind of like it's not like like the you know the, the killing joke comic where it's like joker says that like all oh, like it's just a bad day isn't it? well if you have a really 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 bad day and things can go beyond what you'd ever imagine and this is kind of like yeah he finds out that his dad's killer still out there and his relationship's in trouble and everything he was it was on such a high point of being you know having spider-man day and then by the end of like a couple of days afterwards like everything's just going terribly for him so i do think that like his yeah the, the symbiote thing does work there i think like that's it's like that's where in the film venom kind of works just as a symbiote in the black suit because it is his life just becoming like a bit of a mess and he doesn't know where he is in his own head and stuff so uh with then there's also then it's also mixed in with the like his best friend keeps blaming him for his dad's death and stuff so and like you know the memory like he's sort of got his friend back a bit but he knows that like like you know memory maybe could just return like it could be triggered again and so I think this is one of the more like well it's not as yeah it's not as like it's not as fun to watch as like Spider-Man 2 where it's just Peter Parker has a really bad time of it but I think this is a bit more Peter Parker's arc a bit more put together in this one makes a bit more sense <laughs> yeah and Raimi interprets the black suit as being a representation of of his worst qualities so yeah. you know, when he wears it, that's when he's at his worst, and then he has to overcome that and get back to what who he used to be. That's what it represents. I think, um, including me, a lot of people's expectations of it were more in line with the comics, you know, where it corrupts them over time and all that stuff. But it's just a story point. It's just a story point in this particular film because that's what Raimi wanted from it and nothing else. So when he's wearing the black suit, he just becomes his worst self. Which, you know, even for Peter Parker isn't actually that bad. You know, the um he, you know, he's a bit of a dick and I think it's um I mean we yeah, there, there's stuff we can come on to about the, the actual black suit stuff. Um but I actually wanted to move on to questions. So basically, uh, I went out we all did on social media and we're keen for audience interaction these days after the future 100th podcast where we had a grand total of, I think, six listeners at one point, which was... At our peak, it was 12, I think. Although one of them was Aaron and the other was Kat. So at our peak, it was 12, <laughs> you know. So we went out for some interaction from listeners and we got a few questions. So shall we tackle a couple of questions? Yeah, yeah let's go for it. Yeah. Okay. James Lundy asked... My first serious question is, why would you want to put yourself through Spider-Man 3 all over again? <laughs> this is very much the, because Craig said so question. Uh, it, yeah, yeah Craig, Craig said so. I mean, like I said at the beginning, I didn't want to rewatch it because I kind of have fond memories of these films as a, like a, a gateway, not a gateway drug, but you know what I mean? These These films acted as beginnings for a lot of the superhero franchises that we've now got and know and love. And I watched them a lot when I was younger and think, you know, I I didn't want to watch them again for it to be ruined. Um, so the only reason was because we were doing this podcast, really. See, my yeah. answer to that is I don't find this film that bad. 
I've always liked it to some degree. I don't mind watching it. And I'm quite quite like the idea of talking about it. So, you know, I'm not one of the haters of this film. Well, I wanted to watch... I wanted to see them, because I've not seen Spider-Man 1 before this. I've seen 2 and 3. Just seemed like, yeah, it's a good good opportunity to watch some films. And I think the real, the real thing for me, though, is that Craig then carried on and we watched Amazing Spider-Man 1. <laughs> and, like, actually... I don't, I quite liked Amazing Spider-Man Two. It's okay. It's quite fun. But Amazing Spider-Man One is really bad. So the real problem is not why would I go watch Spider-Man? Why do I go watch Spider-Man Three again? It's like why would I let Craig watch, make me watch a film that he didn't sell very well? It's like do you want to watch? Do you want to watch the worst Spider-Man films collectively? I was like, well, I guess you've got you've got we've got him. They're in line. Fair. Um, so. Yeah, so that's why we're revisiting it, I guess. Just because, why not? Something to do. So we'll take another question. Uh, this is actually from two people who asked the same question with with slightly different wording. So Colin Noble and Stephen Loudon, who has another question later on, asked, do you think the new treatment of Venom will do the character justice or do you think the Spider-Man 3 treatment is the closest to the source Spider-Man fans will get? Which is a really good question. Because... This version of Venom is nothing like the source material, pretty much. Other than he kind of looks like him. <laughs> and, you know, he's the black suit that Spider-Man once wore. Whereas, I think the film version that's coming up, the Tom Hardy version, is a bit closer to the comics in the sense of the fact that he's essentially the Punisher with a black suit. Well, the Punisher wears black as well. He's essentially the Punisher wearing <laughs> a symbiote. And um, he's, like, seeking out his own brand of justice. So I think... I think they're... If you combine the two, you almost get a might get a good version. You might get a definitive-ish version. I mean, I have no idea. I'm fairly certain that Venom is going to be terrible, but it seems like they've kind of they've put a few of the you know the tick box elements in there that that define the character, other than was created because Spider-Man rejected the symbiote. Yeah, I mean, it does It does seem like it's going to be closer than this was, but the Raimi films did play around a little bit with Spider-Man. You know, he didn't invent his own web shooters, for example, and bits like that. They kind of adjusted and tweaked little bits and pieces. And like you say, if he didn't really like Venom that much, you can see why he would turn it into more of a, oh, he puts on what has now become a black version of his suit rather than making it something that's there all the time and sort of just takes over when it wants to. And, yeah. you know, the only element of that that you got really was when he first he first wakes up and he's, a, he's on the side of the building wearing the new suit. Yeah. That element of it's never really explored again. He doesn't sort of wake up again somewhere else having done something. It's like he does that once and then that's it. So it's, uh, yeah, I think it might be closer, but obviously because they've sort of split Venom and Spider-Man a little bit, I'm guessing it won't. But, you know, we've not seen the film, so let's say yes and maybe talk about it later. <laughs> and I think that the problem with it is, well, even if we got an MCU version of Venom, he wouldn't be, like, he wouldn't be extreme enough, you know, for what that character's supposed to represent. So, I don't know, we might never get this. <laughs> No, I mean, it depends on how long the current MCU Spider-Man runs, to be honest. 
I mean, the fact they've introduced it now with Tom Hardy as like a separate thing, does that mean it's now off limits and it's never really going to be played? Because they'll go, oh, well, it's already been done, so, you know, okay, off in the box it goes, you know. It's either that or... Or Venom tanks, if it tanks. Yeah, I mean, it either means that they go, okay, well, it's part of the MCU because we've tried it and it looks like it works. I don't think the darker element that they seem to be going at in the trailer of this would go into the MCU no I don't think you could have some guy talking about eating people no I, I, don't, I don't think that would fit in I mean the only thing they could do is tie in a company associated with the, the sort of symbiote uh, a symbiote science and then somehow Peter ending up with some of it and then doing their own twist on it, sort of tying it together loosely, but not quite. And in that case, I just don't think they would do it. I I think they would go, no, nah, it's it's there, so no, you know, and just yeah. I think it's best not to aim for a definitive. Like it's always more fun to like play with certain characters and have like. Because people, like, I suppose, people do want to see like their favorite comic characters on screen and stuff, but it's more fun to like play with their like play with their origins or play with their, like what they can do and put them in different directions. Because I can't really, not too like I don't really know much about Venom other than Spider Man Three and like the spectacular Spider Man, but I'm sort of like so I've been thinking in terms of Venom without Spider Man being the same as the Walking Phoenix Joker movie which doesn't have Batman, which is kind of similar. It's like they're, you know, they're, they're one of their main villains mm. uh, appearing in a story without their main character. Although so I think the, yeah, sometimes the like... The Joker film is specifically a prequel, isn't it? Whereas Venom is just ignoring it's, yeah, the it's a Venom, Spider-Man. Yeah. 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 But like, I, I don't think it's like, I think it's kind of fun to like put characters in new scenarios and stuff. So I think like, People who really want, like, if people really want, like, the other one from the comics, but they're not going to be happy unless it's just, like, the comic that they've read, like, the the story they know, like, word for word, which is no one, which won't make a good movie, because, like, you know, you have to you have to bridge story, you have to take elements out, and you have to sort of do it to more filmic structure and stuff, so... Well, I mean, if you do the if you do the perfect adaptation in inverted commas, you've got secret wars to deal with, you know. Then he has to get the black suit on Battle World and then come back and yeah. Yeah, so there's too much. So I think you can try and hope for like you want like a Heath Ledger Joker, don't you? It's it's enough of like the Joker that people like from the comics. It's that unpredictability that you know people who know the Joker like, but he's also a compelling enough villain so that, you know, movie like standard, standard moviegoers or people who just watch like the films will also enjoy. So it's, yeah, it's trying to get that middle ground. So whether or not it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't look like Tom Hardy's going to be the, that one, but then again, I'm not, I don't think I've read any, like neutral opinion on it. Mm-hmm. All the opinion on the internet is like, oh, it's going to be terrible. I mean, so it's it's hard to sort of get an impartial judgment, really. 
I mean, my my thing about it, I, when you sort of talk about the standalone Joker film, I can kind of see where you're coming from. And I suppose it does have this potential where you go, okay, we've got this character that's normally all tied up in this other universe, all locked in. However, if we free it from all that entanglement, we can do almost whatever we want with it. And as long as the fans detach the two, then I suppose it could work. You know, in some weird, twisted way, if you break all of this apart, you'd sort of split them off from Spider-Man and just put them in a universe of his own. Maybe they can do something interesting with it as long as the fans that watch are willing to detach the two. I think the problem is they'll be too tempted to try and tie it all together, in which case it's never going to get that free point of view where they can do whatever they want with it, and it's never going to get that attachment that the fans are maybe going to want to watch. So it ends up in this sort of no-man's land in between where it's not going to be able to tie itself in enough to have references and it's not going to be able to be free enough in order to maybe do something interesting with it. Yeah. And it sort of leaves it stranded at that point. Yeah, um, I think the um, my major issue with this version of Venom that we're getting in a couple of weeks is the character exists because of Spider-Man, right? It's an important part of his origin story. This is why, as much as I don't want to see it, a Craven the Hunter movie might work a bit better, even though I don't know what this film will be about, because he doesn't exist because of Spider-Man. You know, Spider-Man has nothing to do with his setup. Uh, it's just someone he eventually encounters. So, you know, you have characters that you could feasibly spin off without mentioning Spider-Man. Black Cat, for instance, her origin has nothing to do with him. It's you know it's a separate issue, but um, so you've got things like yeah so so Venom exists because of Spider Man. Um, it's we were talking about on a previous podcast we were talking about this character it's got to be in Supergirl whose name escapes me, uh, who they've completely changed other than his name, mm. and the, you know the creator of the character is like what the hell are you doing this is ridiculous you have no imagination whatsoever you know there's. Uh, you're just taking this name and corrupting it and whatever else. So, you know, he's clearly very upset about this adaptation that he has nothing to do with and, and whatever else. Uh, but I think for Venom to work, a big part of his motivation, his powers are Spider-Man's powers. He has that big iconic white spider in his chest, you know, as, as well as everything else. And, and none of that's there. You know, this is why I don't like the ultimate version of Venom, because it, it divorces itself so much from... Um, from that kind of setup, the alien is important, which I think they're preserving in the new film, which is fine. But again, it's supposed to come from somewhere. You know, it's supposed to latch on to Spider-Man's abilities and, and take it on. And maybe this change will be a good one. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But the fact that we're not getting him in the MCU, at least for now, is kind of a shame because the MCU does a really good job of taking characters that fans of the comics will know very well. And just playing around with little bits and pieces of them. I mean, their best villains are culminations of different villains. You know, they, they take different elements from different ones. It's You know, Hela is a mix of two or three different villains, for example, because the original version of the character just ain't that interesting. You know, um, a Vulture and, and Spider-Man is, is a mixture of a couple of people as well. And they could really do something with Eddie Brock that would be interesting. And I almost feel like the MCU version of Eddie Brock would be, he's a classmate who doesn't like Peter Parker or feels like Peter Parker gets too much attention and he becomes Venom later on, you know, and it would be kind of similar to this. I feel like they would do that. I just don't know how, how it would fit 
tonally with the MCU. I mean, like I've said already, I mean, I don't think you're going to get, or you would never get the sort of brutal version that they appear to be going for from the trailers in the MCU. And in which case, if you get too cuddly a version or too cut down a version, is it just as bad as the one that we're talking about in Spider-Man 3 where they can't use it to its full potential? So it's just kind of like, why did you do it at all? We have two excellent animated versions of Venom that managed to dodge that problem very, very well. Hmm. Uh, the the Hank Azaria, aka Mosislak version from the nineties animated show, was very good. Though it's specifically focused on his vendetta against Peter Parker and Spider Man and the episodes he's in, uh, and the spectacular Spider Man version, whose voice actor escapes me. Again, it's focused on his relationship to Peter Parker and Spider Man. So you don't really see any of the I'm going to go out and just eat people for justice side mm. things. So I mean, those okay. things never happen in those in those universes because Venom is an extension of Spider-Man's story. See, and, I don't. Was, yeah, I don't remember the animated version enough to comment really, but maybe it, maybe it's something I should re re look at for sort of Venom. But and watch yeah. Spectacular Spider-Man for crying. <laughs> watch the damn thing. It's watch crazy. that. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I will pimp that show until the day I die. Honestly. Love it so much. So, I guess the answer to that, in short, is we don't know. Uh, we don't know what we're getting. And maybe this... May, maybe we'll get a version that's close enough to the source material. I might be pleasantly surprised when I watch Venom in a couple of weeks. I'm certainly ready for it. I want to be. I want to enjoy it. It's just before we move house as well, Isaac, isn't it? Yeah. It's out that Friday. <laughs> the day, Two days before we move house. Exciting. Um, should we do our last two questions while we're at it and in, in, in the question and answer segment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for yeah, it. Yeah. Cool. Stephen Loudon also asks, Spider-Man 3 deals with three major stories from Spider-Man's long history. So that's Harry as the Goblin, sort of. Sandman. Uh, Sandman? The, the black suit. So it's really four. And then the fourth one would be Venom. You know, so um, the black suit is, to me, a separate story from Venom. So... Um, which is your favourite thread, and which do you feel could have been better? It's quite an easy question. My favourite is Harry. I think Harry is... There's not, not much wrong with a Harry plot in this film, other than the bout of amnesia, you know, where he gets taken to hospital and it's like, oh, yeah, oh. Um, you know, you, you need to sign this release form and then you can collect your flying surfboard and, you know, weapons, <laughs> you know, that we've got, we've got through the back here. Uh, the amnesia stuff is, is a bit weird, but he is quite well done. Other than the fact that he says, oh yeah, MJ, you're going to break up with Peter. And uh, and then that's about it. I don't know why um, we need you to do that. And especially when they have that break up in the, on the, the walkover bridge in the park. And uh, instead of saying, hey, Harry's over there behind that tree. Go beat the crap out of him. You know, he's back. He has, his, <laughs> he has his memories back. Go, get him while he's not expecting it. She's like, oh no, I have to break up with you because there's someone else and he cries in a really comical way and uh, that that part I don't like but I really like the, the fight they have in his house you know that's just a, a, a punch up, I really like that part and then I really like that at the end uh, Harry realises he was my friend all along after his butler's like oh yeah there's a stuff I didn't tell you about by the way uh, Norman was totally the Green Goblin and uh, killed himself <laughs> uh, I forgot to mention that uh, 
I'll just get my things. I'm fired, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the where he does realise that Peter's his friend and then gives his life for him, you know, that's that's a really good ending to that story. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think the best the best of those plots is the Harry plot, and I have the exact same problems with you. The bout of amnesia I could have done without that. That that wasn't needed. And if you were gonna lead with a he wants to break Peter emotionally, they could have started with him trying to get Mary Jane on his side right from the beginning and then yeah. build up the rest of it. I think that would have been a good play for it rather than, oh, we're going to be friends again for a few scenes because people liked it when we were friends and then we're going to go through me rediscovering the fact that you killed my dad all over again and wanting revenge all over again. And yeah, it just, yeah, it didn't, we didn't need that. I I, I don't think it, that could have been handled better. Um, second favourite? Oh, I don't know. I mean, Sandman, I've already discussed my problems with the the fact that they changed it so that he was um, Uncle Ben's killer. I thought Sandman had a very good motivation otherwise, though. Yeah, I, I liked I liked the fact that there was a reason why he was robbing that wasn't, you know, I just want to be rich or I'm just doing it because I'm bad. I'm just going about mugging people because I want to collect money and swim in it. You know, it's... It was, I'm, I'm doing it for my daughter, I'm doing it for, to, to try and get her through, who's ill, yeah. uh, by the way. And, uh, yeah, that's the reason that I've been going about robbing banks. It's, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I get it, but at the same time, you're still going, ah, they've sort of messed about with Uncle Ben's death again, and it seemed yeah. unnecessary. There are repeated, I mean, there's repeated instances of Sam Raimi not giving a crap about Venom especially you know throughout it's like yeah Eddie Brock whatever he's here don't worry about him he's not that big a deal but there is one scene that shows tells you everything about what Sam Raimi wanted to do and it's this Sandman's birth scene you know where he's after he's wandered into this random nuclear particle physics whatever it is testing center where you know the scientists clearly don't give a crap about (laughs) good measurements it's like, oh yeah, there's a change in the mass. It's like, it's probably a bird, whatever. I just want to go home. Let's get out of here. Like, let's just turn this on so I can go home. And then, and then you know, he, he obviously gets dissolved into sand. And, and then the next day he wakes up and, and he has to reform himself. And it's, it's such a beautiful scene. It's beautifully scored. And um, you just, you know, you see him just forming. You know, you, he gradually becomes more human. Then he sees the locket and tries to pick it up and fails and then tries again fails and then you know eventually gets it and it's just such a well well put together scene you know the effects are great the music's great the direction of it is amazing and it just shows how passionate the story of Sandman could have been yeah I mean the physicality of that as the you know it's not even a fully formed face at that point it tries to get up and then it just falls into sand again and one hand reaches out and then trying to take these baby steps to get moving and yeah no I I really like that scene and yeah and I agree with you about the scientists just sitting there going well let's turn on the machine anyway Uh, (laughs) who even knows what this machine is supposed to do apparently de-miraculizes stuff but there was nothing in there for it to actually do. It was just apparently it just <laughs> sand. spins sand around. It's it like spins a big margarita sand. mixer yeah. thing, you know. It just yeah. that's all it does. Yeah, <laughs> it's just this uncovered pile of silicon mass 
in a random outside area what are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Do you think we should floodlight it, boss? No, let's just leave it in complete and utter darkness. Um, <laughs> should we put guards around the fence? No, no need. Maybe some barbed wire? No. <laughs> so let's just leave it right there. Yeah. And once he climbs the fence, the police are like, oh, well, guess he's gone. We won't phone this facility and say this guy might have broken in, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> l- let's, r- let's slowly run around this fence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think we're sort of in agreement, Harry being the best. Um, Sandman, second, Venom and Dead Last kind of thing um, Isaac, do you, do you Isaac? agree? Uh, I think I'd probably put Venom I'd probably put Sandman last because his story is it feels the most sort of, I know it's like not supposed to be tacked on but it feels the most tacked on because it's the most like separated it's the most chopped up one so you get that weird intro with the the magic science experiment and then you <laughs> see him again like like in a like a sand truck thingy fighting some policemen later on and then he has like a fight with Spider on the underground and it's a bit it's a bit heavy handed and thrown in it feels like maybe you could I don't know you could probably take Salmon out if you wanted to do like a Venom still do have Venom in the film maybe just get rid of Sandman and have Harry, Os- Harry Osborne and Venom I do think that the Harry like it's sort of like, like I don't know if it could be developed when I was watching the third one, but I'd say it's a lot of dead people to work out not to put like spikes on front of your hoverboard. <laughs> like sort of like if you know if what's he called? What's the dad Osborne called? Norman. Norman. So yeah, so Norman As- Osborne gets impaled by his own front facing spikes on his skateboard thing and then like the same fate falls on Harry it's like just take your don't build anything just don't build any as a uh, sort of a public service message to everyone just don't put any huge spikes on the front of your vehicle especially if it's like fast moving and you're (laughs) and you're only standing on it like you're only standing like with two feet it's not like you know it's not a roll cage or anything but yeah, um, so I think yeah, Harry Osborne's story is the best, but that's more that's more to do with Spider Man one and two than it is Spider Man three. Just because he was like the set up he's the one that we know. And he set up beforehand. And Sandman you could probably take him out of the movie, I think, and then Venom being middle. Is it just me that wants a separate podcast of Isaac villain health and safety reviews? <laughs> yeah, I'll just go through them all. Yeah. yeah, I've carried out a risk assessment, and it turns out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <But> even... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've carried out a risk assessment, and uh, turns out uh, your gas mysterio is aggravating your asthma, so you probably shouldn't use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you t- you totally shouldn't. And by the way, Doc Ock, every time you operate your arms, I want lights, beacons, and noise to say that the uh, the arms are about to move so that people can clear away. And uh, while you're doing it, there should be cones around you to mark off a safe yeah. area. <laughs> yeah, honestly, pointed out in thingy, Rhino, don't open your don't open your front screen to expose your huge baldy head <laughs> when you're in a massive rhino costume with loads of policemen are pointing guns at it I know it's like a sort of you know at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2 when he's like toying the that little kid and he opens up his front bit so you see him and he's like ah it's this Spider-Man over like and like I think you were saying uh, Craig like oh, any sniper 
could have just taken him out like immediately. Yep. So yeah, add that on. So we got Rhino sorted. I'm trying to think of some MCU ones. Who have we got? I'll, I'll, I'll have a think. I'll, I'll get at least one MCU risk assessment done before the end of this podcast. We'll revisit this, perhaps. Later. Yeah. So our final question is from Sarah Morrill, who says, what did you think of emo Tobey Maguire? Yeah. So it's something I wanted to cover in some detail. So nice. We'll Can we call him emo Emoby Maguire instead of emo Toby? Yes, we can. Although that's a bit hard to say, as you just proved. Yeah. Yeah. So... Emo Spider-Man, emo Peter, emo... How about whatever. Baby Maguire? Baby Maguire. <laughs> no one puts Baby Maguire in the corner. Yeah. Um, I think it's... <laughs> a lot of people talk about the, you know, the dancing down the street part and, and the jazz bar bit as being really cringeworthy, really terrible, you know, such an insult, such a laughable insult, blah, 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 blah. I disagree with all of that because... I think that people forget the fundamental the, the fundamental truth of the matter is that Toby Maguire is playing Peter Parker. And I say that he's playing Peter Parker, I know that's obvious or it should be obvious, but the black suit is amplifying all these traits, all these negative traits. So he has a he's inspired to show off. He just wants to show off. But Peter Parker ain't cool. Never has been. Unless you're Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker, in which case you're handsome, well dressed with like a trendy haircut, you know, and that's not Peter Parker. Um, so he's not cool. So he's dancing about the street because he thinks that's cool. It isn't. You just have to look at the reactions of everyone he walks past to see exactly what they think of him. And then there's the the bit where he goes into the jazz bar and gives her like gives the waitress like five dollars or something like that, and says, "Go find us some shade." And she just walks away and she's about to laugh. And it's little bits like that. I mean, the scene does end with him beating Mary Jane in the face which is, that's a bit unnecessarily dark for that moment. But other than that, I think it's perfect that he's just ridiculously arrogant. So he does the emo haircut thing because he thinks that's cool, even though it isn't. Sorry, emos, but it ain't cool. At least as far as I'm concerned. I'm not cool, so whatever. Um, And it's, you know, the bit where he has his feet up on Jameson's desk and Jameson's just looking at him as if to say, what's this clown doing? Uh, I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect for what they were trying to do. He's not a badass. He's not supposed to be a badass. It's supposed to be, this is wrong. This is wrong. Get rid of this. Pretty much just agreeing with Craig. Like, it's all the reactions of the the people he's walking past that Mostly don't women. give it away. Yeah, all these women that he's like sliding up to. He's like, hey, look at me. What are you doing? And they're all like looking at him like, he's just the creepiest, creepiest, weird little man ever. And they live in New York. So yeah. <laughs> Um, it's perfect. I, I I think you're right. I mean, it's Peter Parker's idea of being cool, isn't it? So he's yeah acting like a bit of an idiot while sort of dancing down the street. Um, the fact that he suddenly sort of stands up to Jameson and he's surprised by that, you know, I'll take double the money as well, kind of thing, and gets away with it. I yeah. kind of like, you know, it's like suddenly he's all assertive and you know, a character. Yeah, I think it's all right. I. I mean, it's generated about a million memes um, <laughs> since it was created. So you know, I think I think we've got to agree with it, haven't we? 
the best recent one I saw was the the gif of him, you know, doing the the hand signals, and it's like when you unlock a new suit in Marvel Spider Man. <laughs> that's what I'm like. I go for a bit of a strut. I go for a swing about. We'll beat up some guys. Well, can't no, you no. can you give people the finger guns in the game? You can sort of go along and. No, not I think you can. Yeah. No, well, I will. Out. I will try and find it on uh, Femi, <laughs> but I'm sure I've seen I've seen gifs of it now. So I'll yeah. have a look. But um, yeah, so it's great. I think I think it's really funny as well. It's just that point, and, and it's weird. It's it signifies this weird tonal shift as well because it comes just after he kills Sandman or thinks he's killed Sandman, and you know he has that really like that really cringy sort of good riddance. <laughs> it's like he dissolves. I mean, he's only like washed up for a bit. He, he comes back, but so it's after that point, and and it's when he goes to speak to Aunt May as well. It's like, oh yeah, I totally killed Sandman. I mean, Spider Man totally killed Sandman, and she's like, oh, he probably shouldn't have done that. That's like. That's extreme. I, I mean, I, I miss your uncle too, but you know, nobody deserves to be killed. He's like, oh, uh, if anyone needs me, I'll be dancing on the street. So let's talk a bit about Mary Jane because we haven't really we've talked about her as part of Peter Parker's thing, but she annoys the crap out of me in this film. <laughs> like, just jeez, women, get a grip. You know, she she walks up and she's like, I'm in this play. It's amazing. And how good was I in this play? Oh, tell me again how great I was. And it's like, well, fair enough. You're excited. It's your opening night, whatever. And then later on, she gets cut from the play after a bad review. And it's like, oh, it was just one bad review. It's like, no, no, no. It was all the reviews. You're genuinely terrible at this. <laughs> and and um, it's the bit where she says, this isn't about you, Peter. It's all about me. <laughs> and, uh, she's infuriating because she's kind of I mean she's self-absorbed I mean she always has been in the other two films but I don't like this version of Mary Jane anyway I don't like the way she's written I don't think she's a character as such she's very much a you know she's not a super she's not a character she's a character's girlfriend that's the difference you know and you might malign the amazing Spider-Man films but Gwen Stacy's the best character in them uh, but this isn't Mary Jane isn't anything other than something to prop up Peter Parker in some way and in this film she's just horrific I think she was better in the earlier films, I think this film is that character or that portrayal of the character at its worst really I mean the whole thing about her going all the way to opening night and then everyone having bad reviews leads to the question how the hell did she make it all the way to opening night without them dropping her <laughs> you know there was an understudy there get rid of her you know yeah, we all get her off of her yeah it's like it, it it turns out no one could hear them beyond the front row and then you're going did anyone watch rehearsals or did they just <laughs> go ah we'll be fine on the night uh you know you've got a microphone haven't you brian yeah totally where's the microphone brian uh oh oops you know, I I don't know, and then she instantly goes back to sort of waitressing and down in the. I kind of have the feeling that Mary Jane in these films they weren't really thinking what to do with her, beyond the point of what they needed her to do to motivate Peter at that particular moment. Yeah, you know, you need him to be jealous that um, Harry is now going out with her. You need her to not listen to him at this point, or you need her to walk out before he gets. Uh, to propose to her because otherwise it's going to go too well. You need her yeah. to be a damsel at this point, you know. You need her to be marrying this other guy to really screw with Peter. You need her, yeah, to, yeah. You need her to be doing all this. And um, the funniest bit is where she walks out just after being fired, and there's people cheering, and she's like, "Oh, you shouldn't have." And then this Spider-Man swings by, 
It's like, why would they be cheering for you? You've just been fired and they don't know who you are. Why would they know who you are? Like, theatre isn't that big. You know, you wouldn't recognise someone on the street who'd been in, like, I guess one night. You've been, you've been in one night, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one night to really yeah. bad reviews. You walk out, there's applause, and you think it's for you. You know, the only yeah. reason it would be applauding is like, oh, thank God she's gone. We can, <laughs> we can buy tickets for oh, this look, again. they cast her. Everyone cheer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's, like, weirdly jealous of Spider-Man, and then she has that bit where she goes over to Harry's and kisses him and all this stuff, all this bizarre stuff that she does. Instead of just saying, hi, Peter, by the way, I've just been fired. Maybe tonight's not the best night to go out for dinner. I'm not feeling it tonight. Let's just park it, you know. And especially since she kind of was upset with him for keeping secrets from her in earlier films. I mean, mm. she sort of understands why he did it eventually. But still, like, shouldn't the relationship be built on honesty now that that big secret's out of the way and... I just don't get the sense of what the relationship is. She's still that manic pixie dream girl, and frankly, I don't understand why. Well, Go he's for Gwen. Go- she's kind of ditzy, but you know, she's she seems a bit more pleasant. Yeah, I I I, I don't get the point. Like, he's up to the point where he's wanting to get engaged, but she doesn't seem to be anywhere near that point. No, in the relationship. Yeah. By the way, how good is the? The Mater D scene with Chris Campbell <laughs> as the French waiter. It's so funny. So funny. Yeah. Just, it has to be, it has to be referenced. It's just such a funny thing. It's the, it's yeah, the bit it's where like, he keeps making hand gestures and he's like, ah, here's the violin. It's like, bringing, oh, bringing them on, bringing them off, yeah. bringing them on. Like, walk it back, walk it back, quick, yeah. retreat, retreat, retreat. Yeah. No, Bruce, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Campbell's just funny though. I mean, he's mm. in all three films as well. Uh, he is the. Wrestling announcer in Spider-Man 1. He's the obnoxious usher in Spider-Man 2. And in Spider-Man 3, he's that way. So, he gets around. He's had a few jobs. Yeah. Isaac, what are your thoughts on MJ? Uh, well, again, with the same with the... Not Brock Lesnar, but Eddie Brock thingy. Where it's... It's not a character I know very well, so I've got to sort of base... Like, I'm going to base the characters that I've seen as their characters... Well, that's the the one and done sort of. So I can't really say like, oh, this is not the MJ that, you know, I expected, or, you know, it's not how I've seen it done before because I don't really, like, she's not a character I know very well. So especially like she's not. I don't know she's she's not. I won't say she's like, unlikable, but she's also not very, like, particularly engaging. <laughs> She's just sort of, again, she's just another character that's kind of there. And I think, like you were saying, she is written just... She's not written as her own character, but she's more written as a character that reacts to or Peter can react against. So she's only there to, like, push plot points forward when she's getting married to uh, astronaut Jameson and, like, her sort of the love triangle with... Uh, Peter uh, Osborne and her so she's not really like her own character in these she's she's just sort of she's the like just a character that yeah that Peter and other people these like things are sort of reactive against her or she's there to provide some like a little a little sort of you know emotional conflict yeah she's a character's girlfriend 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's just it. And that's a lot of what happens in sort of earlier... Well, I mean, the sort of superhero films, you know, the, the, the lazier ones, I guess, is you have these these characters that only exist to prop up the main character without being a character of their own right. You know, Doctor Strange had that with Christine. Like, there's no real point in that character being there beyond the function that she serves, you know, and they could have done more with her. They had a better actress playing her than they, they should have um, for that particular role. And I think Kirsten Dunst is much better than than she's allowed to be in these films as well because of what that character's function is. You know, she makes a joke about it herself where she just says, all I get to do is scream a lot. And it's what happens in all three films. It ends with her getting kidnapped. She screams a lot. You know, it's, it, it's a bit redundant after a while, I guess, but... Um, yeah, she just infuriates me in this film. I don't mind her in the other two. I mean, in Spider-Man 2, she doesn't do very much. In the first Spider-Man film, she is the manic pixie dream girl. She's the unattainable. She's the, the thing that Peter Parker lusts after. But in, the, in this film, it's like, yeah, what do we do with her now that they're in a relationship? And they just don't know. So we'll just have her be stroppy and selfish and obnoxious to him. That's, that's the way to do it. I guess. It's that thing of, oh, we can't have them be together because we need them to split up again because that's yeah. the continual cycle, you know. They're together, they're not together, they're together, not together, and it just needs to continue in that loop. You can never settle it, otherwise it's, you know, we've got nothing to do. Yeah. yeah. And actually, going back to your idea that you talked about where Harry could have just been trying to get MJ on side throughout the film, mm. you know, if you cut out the memory loss crap, then you've got... I've said crap about you in this podcast. If you, if you cut all that out, then you have this, like... Yeah, it's like Harry's trying to use his wealth, influence, and, you know, let, let's pretend he's charming. I mean, he's still James Franco, but, like, uh, <laughs> let's pretend he's charming. He is the guy that uh, gives a creepy a review of the pie in that, that diner that they're in. You know, like, how's the pie? And he's like, so good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he gives that creepy wink as, <laughs> as he disappears from the bus guy's bus. Such a great moment. You know, but it, again, it's, like, memorable, but... What you could have had was just Harry being trying to win MJ's affections from Peter throughout the film and and maybe succeeding a little bit, I don't know, because in the, first, in the first scene where Peter's at her play and he brings her like a small bunch of flowers or something like that. And it's like these are from Harry and it's like dwarfing the room and that kind of stuff. You know, you could have so much of that. Well he could have the the thing is he could have wangled his way in from there. The fact that Peter is almost ignoring her to a point he could have just listened to her nonsense the whole time and won her over that way yeah along with like you say the influence the money the the thing you know you want to be in a play i can put on a play i can i can be the producer of a play you'll be a star he could have done all that to win her over in a way that peter never could just to spite him, stab him, and don't do the twist. And then, along with the, the goblin stuff, you know, there you go. That's your, your revenge plot right there. Yeah. And then her, her discovering the fact that that's what she's been used as. She's been used as a tool to get at, at Peter. Uh, rather than the not-so-subtle way they use her as a weapon to get to Peter, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, you're going to stand on this bridge, and you're going to tell him sincerely that you don't love him anymore, and that there's another man, and then you're going to walk off, and don't you dare try and give some sort of non-verbal signal that you're doing this against your will, uh, <laughs> you know, using all that acting skill that you've got because you're an actress. <laughs> uh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I, I think 
think there's there's other ways they could have uh, done that that maybe would have been more interesting. And like you say about the Amazing Spider-Man, as much as they they do stuff wrong in some of those films, the Gwen Stacy relationship uh, is miles better than what they did with Mary Jane across the three films here. Yeah, well, it's, those are Gwen Stacy's films. Gwen Stacy, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that. Yeah, I, th- I just think that, that MJ is... She's there because she has to be, and they don't really know what to do with her. You know, they do a much better job with some of the other characters. I mean, Betty Brandt, for what she is, is, is all right. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's the um, secretary who Peter kind of had a crush on in the first film a little bit, you know. But you, and you get that bit where he flirts with her in this film, and Jameson says, that's not the position I hired you for, <laughs> which is just a great line. And, I mean, let's just talk a bit about Jameson, how good oh. that is, you know. Talk about your iconic comic book casting. It doesn't get better than J.K. Simmons, does it? You know that's why they haven't bothered with him in any other Spider-Man films. They couldn't, could they? I mean, I I just keep sort of going through little lists in my head, and I'm like, they're never going to hire someone that good again. That he's spot on, not just you know visually for a start. He's pretty much Bob on, <laughs> and then the character they just absolutely nailed it. The, one of the best things about those original three films is him. The the introduction to him in this having tablets for his blood pressure and having to keep his temper down was just brilliant. You know, and the fact that everybody messes with him as well. Where well, Betty just keeps like ringing the buzzer. <laughs> not that one. Not that one. Not that one. And, and he's just, she's just goading him into exploding, and he just can't do it because I don't know. Maybe he had a heart attack between the films. I don't know. Like we don't know what's happened. But. Along, along with like the worst pitch in the world for marketing the Daily Bugle, <laughs> uh, going on. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's it's brilliant. And you know, even even the little bit they do later about him trying to buy the camera off the 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 girl, the disposable camera. You know. Sam Raimi's daughter, apparently. That, that, Is it right? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Films extra, and he's like, <laughs> just the look. They should just, there. they should just bring him back. I mean, come on, just, just. I tell you what, if if Stan Lee can be in all of them, why not? Yeah. Just, just and, you know, you've crossed the streams already. Just if there's if there's one guy that you can take over from the other ones, then surely that's it. There's also a little bit of depth to him. He's not in these films an awful lot, and he is kind of there as comic relief, but there is a little bit of depth. I think the bit where um, where it's discovered that, that Brock doctored the picture, uh, and it's the reaction, that kind of ashamed reaction he has for letting himself believe it, and he's just like, and he quietly says, pack your things, get out of my building. And it's that really, like, you can tell he's really angry because he's not shouting, weirdly. You know, that's that's the kind of, because you've established that Jameson just yells at everyone you know Mm. all three films that's what he does that's how he communicates but when he's really pissed off he just you get that kind of quiet seething contempt and I I really liked that and it's like I haven't had to print a retraction in 20 years it's it's just that I think it's um, yeah it's the fact that the the paper's integrity has been taken as well as his integrity as an editor you know yeah yeah Isaac, fan of Jameson, fan of the supporting actors, characters. Yeah, well, me and you have been sort of on the team of getting uh, that James Jonah Jameson back in the MCU. Yeah. So we're still waiting for our post-credit scene where it's him saying, "Give me pictures of the Avengers." <laughs> you can easily, even if it's not in a film, you could just have him just in the post-credits, just in one of the comedy ones. You've had Howard the Duck. So it's not too much of a, a stretch just to have 
uh, a fan favorite character, of especially of a character that you're not using, just pop up just for a little scene. Yeah. Yeah, they've they've mentioned the Daily Bugle in Homecoming and stuff. They're going to end up having him as a blogger, though, aren't they? <laughs> Some sort of photo blogger, YouTuber. They're not going. They're going to have him as a. They're going to have him as a photographer. Is he going to go out and? Oh, Peter, you mean not James? Yeah, Peter. Yeah, not so much Jameson. <laughs> That'd be brilliant, though. Yeah. What a twist! In the most recent Unless... Spider-Man cartoon, he gets footage of Spider-Man for the Daily Bugle, which you know is broadly the same thing. Um, and I don't know. In Ultimate Spider-Man comics, Peter Parker works on the Bugle's website, but you know you still have him in the newsroom and stuff mm. like that. So it's fine. I think yeah, it doesn't really matter what Peter Parker does. I think um, what these films have done, though, like in The Amazing Spider-Man's Guilty of This as well, it establishes Peter Parker as a photographer like early on, so he loves taking pictures of stuff. But like in the comics, he takes the pictures because, hey, here's a way to make some money. I'll take pictures of myself. And, he, you know, he's a, he must be one of the early selfies back in the 60s, you know, just taking <laughs> pictures of himself with an automatic camera to sell to the Bugle and um, make money. But... Uh, I think if you if you're going to introduce the Daily Bugle, it doesn't really matter what Peter does there as long as it's there. You know, like I think the the Jameson connection is more important than Peter necessarily taking photos. Maybe they're saving it. Maybe Sony have got the right still, and they're going to do Venom. <laughs> Venom was it? Venom, Craven, Silk, and then Jameson is that the fourth one? It'll be called JJ. JJ. Yeah, mm. that's well. Oh God, I can see it now. It'll be his young his younger days as a club reporter working his way up to editor in chief. And he'll be played by Jonah Hill. <laughs> or Channing Tatum or something. Yeah. Uh, it's only allowed to have like people on the crew who've got like either J or JJ, so it's like written by JK Rowling, directed by JJ Abrams. <laughs> oh god. Awful. <laughs> Awful plan, awful plan. Um, so in the notes I've got the... This is a heavily maligned film. Do you think it's justified? Do you think it's justified to be called one of the worst superhero films of all time? I don't. I think this is fine. I don't think it's anywhere near the bottom. You know, it's not as bad as Fant Stick or any nonsense like that. <laughs> it's not even... As, it's better than the first X-Men film. It's better than the third X-Men film. It's better than X-Men Apocalypse. I could go on. <laughs> I won't know. I don't think it's the worst at all. I think it suffers somewhat when you look back at it, considering how far some of these films have come in developing their characters a little bit better in the way that world building has changed a little bit. However, I do think for the film when it came out, I think it still stands pretty strong, to be honest. And like you say, there's been worse since. There's been worse recently. So it's, you know, despite the fact of bits that might have held it back, be it CGI-wise or whatever, it's not bad at all. It's a relic of a different time as well. It's the time where, you know, you weren't watching about 15 superhero films a year. You know, there was an event nature to it and... It's that kind of the Raimi trilogy is that, yeah, there wasn't that much, but it was it was all starting to grow. It's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting historical footnote in in terms of superhero movies, and this one is kind of all right. It's a bit off the rails. They've kind of lost their way a bit, but like, it could have been a lot worse. Oh yeah, I mean, I, like I said at the beginning, I hold this with the the original X Men trilogy. Yeah, 
is like there's elements of them that just you don't get anymore. Um, title sequence. There you go. There's yeah, one. Opening credits. What's opening, that about? Massively long opening credits. It took three, four minutes to get into the film because you were seeing a video of the previous films as it's slowly. Yeah, sort of going through the web and all the characters and everyone, you know, Gary, the tape guy, and Brian on sound and Frank on the boom mic all get credits whooshing in and out. It takes four minutes to get into the film and x-men did that same thing and it was stuff that was of the time though all those films at that point were doing the exact same thing where they would do the massively long title sequence and the music and the scores over the top and it's you know they have a bit of an they they have a similar trajectory to the x-men films in a sense and the first one's like okay the second one is you know the, the one that people talk about and then the third one is well in the case of x-men 3 a train wreck but in, in the case of this one, a lot of people don't like it. Uh, so it's, it's interesting how the trajectory is similar f- across those three films and then the Spider-Man franchise has, has gone in its weird direction since, you know, where they just struggle to get it right. And uh, you get the two Amazing Spider-Man films. Um, I, th- I like the first Amazing Spider-Man film and one day we'll maybe talk about it. When we get that lizard spin-off, we'll talk about the first Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man film. Uh, but Amazing Spider-Man 2, I actively dislike that film on several different levels. And one day we'll get to talk about it and I'll get my hatred out there on the internet for all the yeah. yeah. I mean, my thing with the second one was the fact that they blatantly tried to set up this universe again. Yeah. And and try to do that. Okay, we're going to spin off and do all of these. Look, we've set them all up in front of you. We can see the next eight years worth of films right in front of you. And it was like, oh, yeah. oh no, 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 no. Stop, stop there. Yeah. Stop now. <laughs> Enough already. Uh, Isaac, do you think this is justifiably maligned? Yeah, it's it's right in the middle. This one. It should like, in terms of. Like yeah, the well the boom of superhero movies and like if we were to put them all in a long line, it's it's in the middle. It's a sort of it's a sort of safe like six out of ten. <laughs> it's it's not you know it's not going to make you like regret seeing it. It's not gonna you know it's it's not the best one, but it's not the worst one. It's just one of the ones. <laughs> I think the action is particularly good in this one. I mean, the second one has the train sequence, which is a standout. But other than that, the sequences aren't hugely memorable. But this one has, you know, you've got the um, the, the first Harry fight where you try to catch the wedding ring. That's really good. Uh, and he's out of costume in that one, and it's about them fighting as friends. And then you have the, the sequence with Sandman, which, all right, isn't that good. You know, the, the armoured car robbery one. Uh, after that, you don't have anything until... Uh, is it the sewer fight? You don't really have anything. Although you have the the crane sequence, which is really good. You know the, the where he saves Gwen from the crane and manages not to break her neck. Uh, there's that one. That, that's really good. And I like I like in Spider-Man films where you have scenes of him not fighting bad guys, but he's just like saving people. You know, saving people from stuff. You know, from falling stuff, from dangers. You know, the it it gives us a bit of variety that way. Um, <laughs> The Sandman in the sewer fight, or the subway tunnel fight, which is really good. Uh, and then you've got the, the Harry fight that he does with, you know, where they're in plain clothes fighting in his house. That's quite a good little punch-up. And then the last action sequence, it's very over the top, but it's really good. You know, I mean, having Sandman beating him with his fist that will weigh about as much as the house, that doesn't seem to break every bone in his body, even though he's, 
got his superpowers is a bit whoa what's going on and I don't like that Sandman roars when he's in that big hulking sand farm thing it's like why does he roar <laughs> he talks every other time you know but um, you got a bit of venom in there and all that stuff and that's a cool sequence I don't know the, the action here is it's well directed uh, Sam Raimi knows how to frame an action sequence that's what I'm trying to say by listening to every single action sequence in the film <laughs> but I think the crane sequence would be my favourite actually because like I said I like seeing Spider-Man save people from stuff you know moving around trying to avoid getting hit by the face with rubble and trying to catch Gwen before she splats as you know that's what she does that's what Gwen does she hits the ground she does well, it's, a, it's a neat gymnastic routine and it's not it's not caused by a villain either it's no. just it's a crane accident it's not it's one hell uh, of an accident. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you wonder how it managed to extend that far, but they've done it, you know. It's, uh, yeah. So I, I kind of like it from that point of view, is it's a, it's a day at the office for him. It's not him dealing with a massive villain. It's not him dealing with a bank robbery. It's It's just something out of the blue that only he could deal with at short notice. Otherwise, it would just be a crane coming down. Pretty much. They would kill a lot of people, including Gwen. Yeah. I'm obsessed with Gwen's death for some reason. But it's, yeah, maybe you should just stay on the ground, Gwen. Buy a bungalow somewhere. No one can throw you off that. Poor Gwen. <laughs> Who is played by a common redhead. You know, Bryce Dallas Howard is normally a redhead. Which is funny because Mary Jane is played by Kirsten Dunst, who's normally a blonde. You know, take that people that say this person can't play this person because they don't have this colour hair. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> yeah. So um I agree with you, Isaac. Somewhere in the middle of the kind of pantheon of superhero movies. You know, it's not approaching the top, it's not anywhere near the bottom. Yeah, there's a lot worse. So on that note, do you think we should uh, wrap up? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we can say much more. Do you have any closing thoughts, Chris? You first. Um, not really. I basically close with exactly what I said at the beginning. It's not the worst film. It's not the greatest film, but I I still enjoy it. I still I still enjoy these films. I think looking back, okay, they're not perfect, but I still think they're they're pretty good. Um, as far as Venom's concerned, which is the whole reason that we're you know we're doing a podcast on this, you know we've kind of jumped in right at the end of the of the trilogy. Um, as far as Venom's concerned, the trailers don't leave me that much to to look forward to. I don't think they can particularly do worse to Venom than they did in this. It will just be worse in a slightly different way. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll wait to see, and I, I look forward to whichever random. Uh, Spider-Man film we pick on next <laughs> uh, Isaac what are your thoughts give some focus to Venom it's fine <laughs> it's fine oh speaking of risk assessment though I think like I was I was going wild if Craig remembers when it was uh, Electro's uh, origin scene and he's just like oh just wing it like don't need gloves or anything just just climb along these weird pipes on top of this metal rail He's like, phones the guy up. He's like, can you turn the electric off? He's like, nah, no, I'm going, home. going home. You just, you just try and plug this thing up with no, with no safety equipment. Don't worry about it. I mean, that and was by, a bit of a. 
Yeah. By the way, we've put no cover over the tanks either. It's just yeah, no cover you know, of it. Right yeah, we just the open. tank we, of electric eels. We keep the electrics over an, op- an opening tank of like eels that we also have in this this facility. That was a that's a pretty safety nightmare. So <laughs> I'm trying to think of other ones, but that is that's a top one. Amazing Spider-Man Two. You could have one. You could have one per podcast. Yeah, one per podcast. So it's not for the big one. That whole that should just just put that on like first day for all your new your new electricians and techies. Like we're just going to show you everything you shouldn't do. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My closing thoughts are: I like this film. I've always liked this film. I will continue to like this film. I'll defend it to people that say it was crap because I don't think it's crap. I don't think it's great, but it's not crap. It's just, yeah, it's in the middle. In terms of what they did to Venom, Venom looks really cool, I think. Uh, you know, he, he's fairly comic accurate. He's quite small um, because he's Topher Grace still. And I don't like the fact that he doesn't refer to himself as we or uh, um, or us or whatever else. Um, he does have one funny line, though, where he, where he webs up MJ and says, my spider sense is tingling if you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's quite a funny line. Uh, Topher Grace is all right. I think Tom Hardy will be better because Tom Hardy is... He's certainly got the build to be Eddie Brock. You know, Eddie Brock's a big, muscly guy in the comics and Topher Grace is not. <laughs> but that that's not his fault. I suppose it might be his fault. I don't know. Work out more Topher Grace. Um, what was I saying? Venom, yeah. So Venom looks cool in this, kind of pointless, but we are, we are here to, we were here to talk about Venom... I think the the Venom film I've said on previous podcasts is gonna it looks terrible. So when we come into a podcast about it, it'll be interesting to see what we think. When we're in our new home, Isaac. Our new home, as long as all our references go okay. Pray for our references. Pray for our references. <laughs> so that's I, what should have, that should have done as a rise against rise against finding. Having to find several months worth of pay slips. <laughs> That's a good rise against. Yeah. yeah, we'll have that as a special one. So, Isaac, thank you for joining. No worries. Chris, thank you for joining. You're welcome. And Thwip. That was our discussion of Spider Man 3. If you liked it, then hit that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, leave us those all important reviews and star ratings. Thanks to YouTubers DSC and Connor Hickling for the supplied music. As always, we hope you join us on the next superior edition of Neil Before Pod. <laughs>